You know, when it comes to finding stories, there are a lot of places to find them. You can scour social media sites like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and find a bunch of ideas. You know, one time we found this incredible local teen who was doing these beautiful wildlife photos and we found them on TikTok. And then once on Twitter, there was a fight going on between an HOA and the residents of a community in Miami. And that led to a show. And I, I mean, I can go on and on and on. You can find stories in data. Think about the census numbers. You dig through the newest figures and you could see how communities and states and the country is changing. It also means there's going to be a shift in the leadership of the U.S. House and possibly the Senate. There's a lot there just waiting for you to pluck it. I met Lawrence Maurer when I was living in Las Vegas. I was working at KNPR, the public radio station. He was a reporter at one of the two newspapers in town, the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He was actually a regular on the program because he had uncovered a serious problem with the police department and he found it by searching for more than a year through all these documents that the newspaper had gotten from the police. And that's the thing, as a reporter, you gotta be like a detective, sort of like a Sherlock Holmes or a Veronica Mars. You have to know that there are stories everywhere. You just have to look. You gotta be very, very patient and look in every corner. So let me introduce you to Lawrence, who's now a politics reporter for the Miami Herald and Tampa Bay Times in the Florida capital of Tallahassee. And he'll tell you how he got his career started. And believe it or not, it started in college and it was kind of by accident. How'd you get into journalism? I was actually an accounting major um, first. And I'd never really considered, I never thought about being a journalist, never considered it um, and, until, you know, I was in my third year of accounting and pretty miserable, <laughs> not clearly not enjoying it like my classmates were. And I happened to write a, a letter to the editor of the review journal um, about a professor uh, at the time, the review journal there, if you, people who don't know, they're a pretty libertarian editorial stance, actually not pretty, an extremely libertarian editorial stance. And at the time they were going on about uh, double dippers and basically people in the legislature who also work in state government. And at the time that applied to uh, Dina Titus, if you remember, I think she was the Senate majority leader at the time, but she was also a professor at UNLV teaching, like, I think it was state government. And I actually had her for one of these classes in a giant lecture hall where I sat in the back few rows and she taught about, you know, one of these required classes that every, you know, uh, student has to take about state government. And I knew who she was. I knew she, that she was in the legislature and looking back on it, it seems like it kind of makes sense, but i had always read the newspaper. I, I was actually a college student still subscribing to the review journal and they were railing about Dina Titus. And I think somebody had, written a letter to the editor saying that she was probably indoctrinating all of her students because she was a de Democrat, indoctrinating them to be liberals. And I've always been staunchly nonpartisan. Um, <clears throat> I've never been registered to a political party, but I've always been a fairly uh, high news consumer. 
And I wrote a letter to the editor. I'd taken her class just recently. I think it was still in the class or it just ended it, or her class. And I wrote a letter to the editor saying, you know, I actually was on the lookout to see if she was going to be like some raging liberal. And she didn't tell anyone who she was until the very last day of class. And she's like, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but, you know, I'm a I'm in the state legislature and whatnot. And and it was a very it was an entertaining class. It was a lot. I had a lot of fun. And frankly, you know, it was it, you I had I would have no most people have no idea if she was a liberal or not uh, by just by taking the class. And. I wrote a letter to the editor of the review journal and they actually printed it and it was like the lead letter to the editor, you know, and cause it's probably rare. I'm sure exceptionally rare for them to get letters to the editor from college students. But, uh, I, I, you know, I'm embarrassed to admit, but I actually liked seeing my name in print. <laughs> <clears throat> it, you know, it, it, it's, it's true. And, um, I had professors in other classes notice and actually, you know, remark to me, I remember my geology, I think it was my geology um, professor, you know, another required course, but uh, he came up to me. He's like, Hey, that was a great letter to the editor. I don't think it was actually very good <laughs> uh, to be frank, but um, the, uh, I, uh, I decided to, decided to take a journalism class after that and ended up really liking it. I liked the flexibility of the job. I liked uh, how it was, it's a pretty independent job. You can, you know, there, you don't really have a boss telling you what to do every second of the day. Um, it's, and um, I took a couple classes at, or excuse me, uh, a, I started working with a student paper, took a couple classes and really liked it and switched my major. And yeah, it was, uh, you know, by my senior year, I guess my fifth, it would have been my fifth year because um, I, I was a little bit delayed because I had to switch because I switched majors. You know, I was interning for the review journal on the cops beat, you know, basically missing my, my professors. My final semesters were like, eh, just go <laughs> go work for the you know paper. You don't really need to be here. And uh, so, yeah, I was working at the paper, covering the police beat and getting real clips in the in the paper, uh, you know, the local paper and ended up getting a job. I. I right before the pandemic, not the pandemic, the recession, the great recession hit. And I graduated in 2006, right before that hit and was really lucky to get a full-time job. And that's kind of how I got started in it. I did not know that, but yeah, it's all right. It's all right to like your name, uh, you know, in the paper, right? You know, it's seeing, seeing it up there. That's, it's a good thing. It's all right. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has <laughs> totally lost its cachet, of course. <laughs> but, you know, initially it was kind of like, wow, this is, you know, kind of interesting and important, I felt like. Yeah. And, you know, my, my, my looking back on it, I mean, it kind of made sense. But I I was not one of these kids who knew from an early age that we're going to be a journalist. I'd never actually thought about it, even though I grew up reading the paper because my parents read the paper. I remember, so I met you, you were at the Las Vegas Review Journal and... You had been working on this big story about use of force with the Las Vegas police, right? Yeah. And yeah. this turned in, I mean, this turned into a big series and it changed things. I mean, this wasn't just that, you know, that you were up for a lot of awards. It's just it it actually changed the way the police department operates. But tell me how you found that story, you know, just briefly like what you know, what the story entails. Yeah, I was uh covering i think it was on night cops at the time i was the you know i was working a swing shift 
2 to 11 p.m. covering police shoot, covering, you know, the police beat, going to crime scenes, um, you know, writing about crime and, and, you know, but Las Vegas at the time, like a lot of police departments, but Las Vegas in particular had um, a lot of police involved shootings. And by that, I mean, police shooting people um, and sometimes killing people. And this, it, it was weird because it seemed to follow like this, this, this cycle. There'd be a lot of shootings in a row and then there'd be a drop off of shootings. And then there'd be a, 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 another round of shootings and a lot of controversy, you know, cause a lot of these shootings are, were on uh, people who are unarmed. Um, a lot of them were black and there was uh, one shooting in particular uh, Travon Cole, I don't know if you remember this case, but it was a case of a, um, a young man who was selling, you know, small amounts of weed from his apartment and police ended up doing a raid on his apartment. Um, you know, banging, bang, you know, it was a, you know, they broke, broke open the door, came in, he was flushing weed down the toilet and they, uh, an, uh, an officer shot and killed him. And this was really, uh, this was on the, on the heels, I believe it was right after another really controversial shooting um, involving a, I think it was an Air Force veteran maybe, who, I mean, I, I, I can't believe I can't remember the name, but um, it, it was in a Costco parking lot in the suburbs of Las Vegas. But anyway, Trevon Cole, um, there, there were questions raised about this right away. This was an officer who had been in multiple shootings before and, um, and they, the, the, the officer's story was refuted by the medical examiner. The officer said this guy turned and pointed with two hands at the officer as if he was holding a gun shooting him. And of course he had no gun. Um, the medical examiner said he was not facing the officer and um, the evidence showed that he was flushing weed down the toilet. And so my sources in the police department were the ones who told me that there was something seriously wrong here. And my uh, attitude towards it was, well, you know, there've been so many shootings. I want to actually know what's really going on. You know, there, I, I'm, you know, there, there, we, there, the people had done these kind of anecdotal stories. Oh, there've been X number of shootings in the last few years, but they didn't really tell you what's going on. And my idea was to, take a look at every shooting for the last 20 years across all of the Southern Nevada police departments, uh, including Las Vegas, the big one, of course, being Las Vegas Metro. And actually look at the data, look at, do a deep dive examination on every single incident, including whether you know, the instance in which somebody was not hit by a bullet, uh, you know, instances where police missed. And you would take all this data, you would analyze time of day, where this happened, who the officer was, characteristics of the officer, how long the officer had been on the force, um, you know, where this officer was assigned, what unit, um, the, you know, looking at the, per the person who was shot at, you know, who were they, what was their age, what were they doing, were they armed, what were they armed with? Um, and, you know, basically doing a, an exam, it, it ended up being an examination, but the, the paper signed off on this. Uh, doing an, an examination of, uh, oh, shoot, it was more than 400 shootings going back 20 years. And it revealed, not, this was before Ferguson, this was published in 2011, this was years, years before Ferguson, 
at the time, it was the only kind of examination of its kind and certainly of its scope of police shootings in, in, in uh, this many police shootings by a police department. And, yeah. and that, that uh, the series, by the way, it was, it was called yeah. Deadly Force, yeah, it right? it was called Deadly Force. Mm-hmm. And um, it ended up publishing over five days. And, you know, it was, you know, you know more than 20, 20 ad-free print pages, um, special series. And within a week, uh, I believe it was a week, it was very soon, um, the Justice Department uh, contacted, they, they had seen it. And the Department of Justice had their, their cops office, which is the uh, a, a division of the Department of Justice that works with police departments to basically improve them, uh, to, to notice, to, they notice problems and they go in and try to help. And they had noticed the series and contacted the, ch- the sheriff at the time, Doug Gillespie, and said, basically, hey, we got a problem here. Um, and specifically, you have a problem here. Let us help you. And they, the sheriff, you know, they, they've kind of spun it since then, saying that they were the ones to reach out. But that's not true. It's, you know, in the, co- the first cop's report about shootings. But basically, they took the database that we built. And it wasn't just me. It was me, Brian Haynes, Alan Mayman. And we had an editor um, at the time, too. But we combed through uh, all the police department homicide records. So after each shooting, they have a the, the homicide detectives investigate and publish a report, usually somewhere around 20 pages with a narrative and statistics and things like that about the incident, um, about what happened. And um, we went through each one of those. The paper actually spent $10,000 um, to buy those public records from the Las Vegas Metro Police Department, uh, which the, the paper had never done before. Um, and we went through every single one. We read through every single coroner's inquest that had happened over the last 20 years. I mean, we had the coroner's office dig up these old dusty, you know, binders um, with transcripts of each coroner's inquest after each fatal shooting and read through those and basically entered into a database, all these different data points. And I had um, the, the former Metro undersheriff, the former sheriff, um, all kinds of uh, detectives and police officers on the record talking about these incidents and basically saying, yes, there's something very wrong with this police department. And of course, what they were doing is they were shooting people and not analyzing why they were shooting at people. They were just covering it up, basically. Um, and the state attorney was doing that, too. They were relying on this bogus coroner's inquest process to basically clear all these shootings. I remember we had you on the show, uh, State of Nevada, talking about this the series and everything that you had found. And I, I mean, to me, this is, you know, you know, basic journalism 101, but it's it's also so intensive. Again, having to look through all this data over many years to try to basically paint a picture, which is what a big part of what we do. Yeah, I mean, and the idea is to do use data to do it. I mean, I. I wanted something that was irrefutable and the justice department took our database. They used our database for their report. You know, I, I, we'd spent a year doing nothing else but this basically. And I'm sure they were grateful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I remember sitting down with them and they were like, well, look, can we borrow this, your data? And they verified it or they, they I handed it to them on a disc and they ended up using it for, 
their their stuff and they verified it. And there, we had a I think two there might have been two different data points that that they disagreed with, but you know out of thousands of data points, you know I think they you know they, they basically verified everything we did. We're talking with political reporter Lawrence Maurer with the Miami Herald Tampa Bay Times in the Tallahassee Bureau. And we're talking about how using data is a key way to find great stories. When we return to this conversation, he'll tell us how those reports that he was going through for more than a year on police brutality really helped change things in the police department. Not just that one, but police departments around the country. We're also going to learn that he actually never thought he'd like covering politics, but that's what he does now. But first, I just want to remind you, this podcast is a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated, and this is the season finale of season one of The Reporter's Studio. We're going to be back later this year, but we want to hear from you. What did you like about the podcast? What do you want to hear more of in the future? Also, what questions do you have about the news media? Share all of this on our website, thereporterstudio.com. Let's get back to our conversation with political reporter Lawrence Maurer. What was it like after that report came out? Um, you know, because you're covering the, the police beat and this comes out. I, I don't know what it was it was it any different the way you you know police dealt with you the the, the different departments um yes and no I mean frankly after it published I was shocked by how little things changed um, uh, at the time it published I think in November of 2011 and nothing much happened uh, it was like kind of like crickets it was very weird you know and I was very down about it you know because like you spend all this time and nothing really happens. Um, the dam really broke. Um, I didn't know what the justice department was doing behind the scenes at this time, at this time, but they were in contact with the sheriff's office, but the dam kind of broke when, uh, early in 2012 Metro shot and killed a unarmed disabled, um, black man who was mentally ill and, um, happened to be a, a war veteran. He was an Iraq war veteran, uh, a, a Gulf War veteran. And um, that, it was on video, it was captured on video, and it was just an absolute outrage. I mean, even people in the police department were telling me um, that th this was, th this was really a true outrage, something really wrong here. And um, that's when everyone, kind of went to my, you know, the, the Justice Department soon after that, I think had announced they were looking at Metro, were working with Metro to, um, on these, on the issue of police shootings. And um, uh, it ended up being a temp, or it, within the police department, I got a lot of pushback. I mean, some people were like, this, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, uh, some people in the police department, some of my sources were like, wow, you're right, but this is really tough to see and I'm really not happy to see it. Um, my sources got a lot of blowback. The people I quoted in the story, there were some, so the people who were brave enough to be quoted on the record of my story got a lot of pushback from their own police. And I was 
more upset about that than any pushback I got. Because, you know, you want to protect the people who are willing to speak with you, you know, on the record, pretty much more than anything. That's your real priority is to protect those people. And, you know, they got a lot of blowback and they suffered consequences um, as far as jobs. Um, I know that happened. And, um, you know, the the long-term fallout ended up being the, the, the cop's office, the DOJ's cop's office, ended up using our reporting and their what they did in Las Vegas as a, as a template for reforming other police departments around the country, more than a dozen police departments. When Ferguson blew up, they used the cop's office, uh, the, the model they used in Las Vegas, basically using data to, in doing, uh, to, to examine trends. That's what they ended up doing in Ferguson and all these other police, police departments uh, that have had trouble since. And, then, and that lasted until Trump. Uh, came came into office and basically dismantled the cop's office. Coming back to what you just said about your sources, um, what do you tell them ahead of time when you're working on a story? You know, there's a, there's a risk for them, obviously. Depending, so what do you tell them? How do you approach that? Oh yeah, um, I tell them uh, I, I try to be as straight up as possible. I say. A, are you comfortable saying this on the record? Because here's what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, you're going to get blowback. You're, you have a high chance of losing your job. Um, and a, some people are aware of that and some people aren't. Um, so, you know, anytime you're dealing, I mean, you know this, um, but anytime you're dealing with sources, you're, they're, they're kind of falling into two categories. Those who are experienced dealing with the media and being a public figure and those who aren't. And the people who aren't are the ones you gotta be really careful of. And I mean, I've quashed stories because, or, or you know, figured out another way to tell stories, but, um, or simply not done stories because, you know, it's gonna be way too much, you know, the, the, the source is gonna be way too exposed. And is that worth it? I mean, you're at the end of the day, you're the one who is supposed to be looking out for them. We're in a tremendous position of power in our business, you know, and that's something we need to keep in mind all the time. And if a source is going to be, um, you know, lose their job, their livelihood, um, I mean, this does happen. We all know this as journalists. I mean, you have to ask a serious question, which is, is this story worth it? Um, and let's be honest, the impact of a news story is probably less than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And so you got to weigh that factor in here, you know, when you're, when you're doing a story and talking to sources and stuff. And, you know, I, I just try to have a very frank conversation with them, you know, near the beginning, um, you know, it, it, with experienced sources, it's it's less of an issue, of course. But with those who are inexperienced, um, I mean, it, it's it's not. I you know every I think every reporter has been on the end of like, you know, um, a, a source who really does get burned after a story runs through no fault of your own, but sometimes also through some fault of your own. And that's I mean, I'm sorry, that's not worth it. It's a sickening feeling, you know, as as, as many, many reporters know. But thank you for sharing that. That's an important aspect, too, um, of what we do. So you went from Nevada 
you know, Las Vegas, very colorful place, to Florida, another very colorful place. Um, I remember when you, yeah, and I remember when you left. Well, I mean, for you, what was, um, what did you think of that move, and why, why was it attractive? Yeah, I was, uh, I, it was a move to the Palm Beach Post's investigative team. And the Palm Beach Post had reached out to me and um, I knew some people there and they said, hey, we liked what you did in Las Vegas. We wanted you, we want you to do that here. And, um, you know, it was a tough move initially because Las Vegas is where I grew up and I love Las Vegas, but I was definitely ready for something new. And the one thing, one big difference moving to Florida, of course, is the public records are so much better here than they are in a lot of other states. And it's <laughs> certainly in Nevada. They're not nearly as good as they are in Florida. And, um, you know, I moved to West Palm Beach, lived at the time I could afford to live downtown, which was great. I, I love West Palm. Um, but, you know, I, I was, I really enjoyed the change in the people at, in Palm Beach. And, you know, I, I th thought I had some, you know, pretty fun stories. I mean, Florida is a gold mine for reporters, you know, not just because of the, I mean, it's not really the public records that make it great. It's because there's just so much crazy stuff, you know, going on. And, you know, geez, I mean, just from corruption to just crazy people to, I mean, it's just, it never ends, you know? Yeah. No, listen, you, if you want to cut your chops as a journalist, you do Florida, you do that for a few years, you could do it anywhere so oh totally absolutely and i mean it's a constant stream of <laughs> insanity really insanity and corruption and like just straight up ne'er-do-wells and you know good people who find themselves in crazy situations and just all kinds of nuts and you're gonna you know what especially if you're covering crime because criminals like the sunshine and the beach too so you know well both cities have like a weird tendency to attract people who want to you know, have a fresh start, right? And in Florida, a lot of these people come from the Northeast. In Nevada, they come from all over. And which seems nuts to me because I don't know if there's a city in America that has more facial recognition systems or cameras than Las Vegas because of all the casinos. But they always, I mean, everybody ended up in Las Vegas and everybody seems to end up in Florida. I, I, I always tell people, you know what? I left Sin City for the Magic City. It's uh, that sounds like a Michael Bay movie, to be honest with you. Um, you now you're covering uh, politics uh, for the Tampa Bay Times um, up in Tallahassee, and so talk about Florida politics. Um, what's been the, the the most enjoyable part of that job and, and the biggest challenge? Oh, let's see. The most well, I, I should back up. I was kind of hesitant to take the job up here because I'm not a huge fan of politics. I don't really. I'd never I, politics in general doesn't interest me. I'm more, much more of a policy person and like getting, you know, trying to weed the politics out of stuff and to find the truth. And, um, but that has been a pleasant surprise. Um, the, the, the part of the job I really do like is the, are the people. Um, uh, I really do enjoy talking to, in uh, meeting the a lot the politicians, the staffers, the lobbyists, 
Um, I mean, a lot of these people like do, and this is something that I don't think gets captured well, but there's a, at least there, you know, I, I think there's a perception out there that a lot of these people are good or bad. And really it's just a gray area. You got a, a collection of people up here who are, have their own motivations and some of those motivations are bad. Some of those motivations are good, you know, and some of those motivations are somewhere in between. Most of them probably are. Um, but you know, there's, there's, it's, it's a, when you sit down and talk to these people and you, you kind of, you really learn that there, it's not, things are not what they seem at first appearance. You know, you may hear a, a, a lawmaker have some kind of big blustery speech or something, and then you go sit down in their office and talk to them for a while. And it's, um, you know, you find out they're just regular people. You know, all these people are just regular people. And I, I do, enjoy, I really enjoy talking to them. The hard, uh, and, and I should say another part is that I really love the, um, the, the learning about the different issues up here. I mean, the one, the, the best thing about journalism, in my opinion, is just you're always learning about new stuff, new topics. Um, you become kind of, ex, or you, you, you try to become an expert on all kinds of different topics from, from tax policy to um, law enforcement to um, environmental policy to voting to, I mean, it's just, it just never ends. And um, I mean, this year I wrote a, a story about auto titles and the process of getting your car titled because there was a bill up here that would kind of screw with that a little bit. And, you know, I d it's just endlessly interesting to me. Um, the hard part or the difficult part is, uh, it, you know, things are toxic right now. Uh, politics are, is pretty toxic and it's, that part can, is not fun. You know, I get, angry emails from people on both sides of the issue all the time, you know, left and the right, you know, saying I'm either in the camp for DeSantis or I hate DeSantis, Governor Ron DeSantis that is, or, you know, I hate Republicans or I hate Democrats. You know, it, 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 um, that, that's not fun. Um, you know, also the, the there's, um, the, you know, there's obviously been an effort to kind of demonize, uh, the news media, traditional news media. And while you think some of the criticism is legitimate, um, you know, it's a lot of it's just flat toxic and it's used by, you know, politicians, frankly, on both sides to, you know, demonize, you know, this, this is not a new issue, you know, politicians, as long as there've been politicians and as long as there've been newspapers, they've always been blaming, you know, reporters and newspapers for their problems or accusing us of being biased. Um, but it just is very toxic nowadays and that's not fun. Um, I don't enjoy that. This is the reporter studio and you're listening to our conversation with politics reporter Lawrence Maurer. He's with the Miami Herald Tampa Bay Times in their Tallahassee Bureau. And this is the season finale, season one of The Reporter Studio. We're going to be taking a little break, but we will be back later this winter. This podcast is a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. And I want to tell you that our next podcast is coming out this summer. 
further into the future, things are going to become more and uncertain. And are here are going to be concentrated on the high ground. And that's going to result dense. in a significant sea level rise. Maybe tackle this issue point. and address it in a meaningful way. Foreseen by events that we can't predict. Your friends we can project things, and then that's five, six, seven people. And the chain goes on. That is more privileged and that is not dealing with climate effects on a regular basis. Anybody to be suspicious of people who claim to know what Miami will look like in 10 or 20 years, let alone 50 years. No one can guess what exactly will happen in 50 years, except that South Florida will likely not look much like it does today. The oceans will have risen, flooding will be a bigger challenge, and things are likely to be hotter. Planet Earth 2072, the podcast, we ask the question, what will Miami look like in 50 years? What will happen and how will we prepare? We spoke with researchers, politicians, and advocates about their fears for the future. You know, it's going to be harder to anticipate what is going to happen from day to day. And the people who are here are going to be concentrated on the high ground in very dense urban landscapes. And that's going to result in a significant sea level rise, maybe adding 20% to those numbers I just gave you. We also spoke with members of Gen Z. We can project them, but we really don't know what this climate catastrophe is going to look like. No matter what, that's not in your control. And I think that you know, for acknowledging the problem now, we can definitely stop it from becoming much worse. We want to better our society, naturally. I think everyone does. The question of the future, what can we expect? Planet Earth 2072, the podcast, comes out June 2022. Learn more at the website planetearth2072.com or on Facebook. That podcast again coming out in the summer of 2022. Stay tuned. Now let's get back to our chat with political reporter Lawrence Maurer. He's got something to say to everyone who's not a journalist. It's a simple message about the role of journalists in this world. I wonder, you know, your day-to-day up in the, in the because the Florida legislature, as, uh, as of this conversation, had just finished its session not too long ago. Um, the day-to-day, what's it like there? And I wonder, like, it, it, you know, are Republicans and Democrats open to talking to you? Um, has it gotten more challenging? Yes, we're in Florida. We have the Sunshine Laws, which, you know, supposed to create a lot of transparency. But you know, every now and then, people are going to try to find a way to hide. Um, I don't know what what your experience. You know, like for this example, this last session. You know, the kind of things that you'd see day to day when you go into the Capitol. Day to day, well, yeah, the session is quite different. The you know the legislative session is only sixty days. You know, maybe it'll extend a few days, and there's committee weeks leading up to it. But you know. That's only if, you know, part of the year, most of the year is spent, you know, literally in my home, (laughs) you know, we're all, we don't have an office up here anymore. 
Um, but day to day, it's it's uh, and certainly during session, it's um, running into people in the hallways, trying to meet with lawmakers in their offices, and I'm always surprised, pleasantly surprised by um, lawmakers on both sides will talk to us, you know, well, and we'll talk to me. I mean, I, I, um, there's some, of course, lawmakers who don't like us, but I think by and large, I mean, I have no issue, you know, having conversations with people. I mean, sometimes there will be senators who would actively try to duck us, <laughs> but you really can't during session because you can see them in the hallway. You'll, you'll, you'll catch them in the hallway. It's a one time a year session is the one time a year where you can basically find anyone in the legislature at any time. Um, and, you know, it's a very social atmosphere, you know, um, there's you know, lobbyists like to talk uh, gossip. I mean, there's a lot of gossipers and I'm not the strongest when it comes to gossip. I mean, some people, I mean, like my wife, um, she's a reporter too. She is just uh, really, she loves the goss and she's awesome at it. Um, I'm not so much, but um, I mean, people just like to talk and they like to talk about ideas. They like to meet people. You know, when the, when the session was closed for the pandemic, it was only basically reporters in, in the legislature. Um, the, the, the public largely wasn't allowed and lobbyists weren't allowed in and lawmakers were pretty miserable. I mean, they like having people from their communities come up you know, I mean, every day there's like a random group of people, you know, it could be ARP day or, you know, uh, Leon or not Leon County day, but, you know, pick a, any county has their day up here and where people come up and meet with their local delegation. And, you know, lawmakers love that. They like the social aspect. It's one of the fun parts of the job for them and also for us, you know, uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a, while it's extremely contentious on the floor, a lot of these debates and this year especially was emotionally training for not just uh democrats but also republicans um and also for you know reporters lobbyists i mean a lot of people just found this session draining emotionally because of all the hot topics um and uh you know that that part can be exhausting um but day to day i mean like people will generally talk you know, that's the one difference on this job compared to covering police, you know, covering the police beat, you know, getting police to talk to you is tough. I mean, they're, they, they, they can get in real trouble for talking to a reporter, uh, a lot of them, if not all of them. And, you know, for up here, I mean, lobbyists like to talk, uh, mo for the most part, uh, you know, lawmakers like to talk, uh, staffers. I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, it's a, it, it, it really, it's, it's a lot easier in that sense. I got to tell you, you know what, maybe that's, <laughs> I was just thinking about one of the challenges of doing a talk show is getting, it's been getting lawmakers on the program and, you know, and, and look, it's not to say that, you know, I know people will say, oh, you're public radio, so you're liberal. And so when you look at it, yes, we get more, more Democrats than Republicans. It's not because we're not inviting them. It's just that they're not coming on. So, you know, that, that is a challenge. Maybe we just need to go and plant ourselves in the Capitol and do the show from the hallway. <laughs> well, that might, I mean, frankly, yeah, you can get people in the hallway much easier. Uh, I would say, yeah, it has gotten a little bit tougher over the last few years. I mean, what I remember my, my colleagues up here have noticed this trend just in the last year of like lawmakers not getting back to us. 
and not just Republicans, but some Democrats too. And, it, you know, that definitely is a challenge because, A, you don't want your readers only hearing from Democrats. I mean, Democrats in general are more likely to talk to us because they're not the ones in power, frankly. You know, so they, they have more to gain from talking to us than, than Republicans do. But, you know. And the point, because, and you mentioned that just to point out to anybody who's not from Florida that the House, the Senate, and the governor's office are Republican. Um, let me finish with this. Um, just thinking about, you know, all of your experiences, you know, if you're talking to a group of people who, you know, they they don't know the field, they don't know, you know, I mean, they consume news, but they don't know what we do, or they're just now learning what we do. What is it? What's that one thing you would want to say to them about what it means to be a journalist? Maybe what they get wrong about us. There's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, you know, one thing that, that I think they should keep in mind is that, and I think this goes for not just journalists, but everyone right now is that we are just people, you know, we are just regular people who are generally, I mean, we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to do the right job here. We don't want to get things wrong. That is still a big black mark on uh, a journalist's reputation is getting stories wrong. I mean, we beat ourselves up over it far more than uh, the public does. Um, we are badly outnumbered nowadays. I mean, there's far fewer of us than ever before, yet more demands on us than ever before. Um, I would say if you can afford to subscribe to a local paper, and it doesn't have necessarily have to be a paper, but it could be any media outlet that you like, um, that you feel... Um, uh, presents issues fairly. Um, and, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're kind of in a position here where, you know, I don't know how much longer there are going to be independent journalists like, like us. So the, the, the financing model is, is kind of going away, frankly, the, you know, most papers are shrinking. Um, at least local papers are shrinking. Uh, there are some, local outfit or, uh, you know, nonprofit outfits that are trying to fill the void. But as far as independent journalists, there's not many of us left anymore compared to their, what there used to be. And so it's like, if you want to help out, contact a reporter, you know, subscribe to a, a, a news outlet. Um, you know, don't be afraid to ever reach out and say, Hey, here's something I think is being missed. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, 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 I kind of start there. No, that's a good point. No, and, and you know what? I mean, it's a, I know that's a big question. And yeah, it's I, I always just want to hear whatever, you know, any journalist is, is thinking about that. And it could be just one thing that you're thinking about most. But I think that's the purpose, uh, you know, of the of, of the podcast. It's just, I think it is an important point to remind people we're still just humans. And, uh, you know, y- you can't judge every journalist the same because it, depending on what medium they're in or what company they work for. And even then what kind of journalist they are, everybody there's, I've met some great ones like you. I think of you as one of the great journalists. I, I met, I've met, I've met some terrible ones. Of course. They're, they're of just, course. just, just, uh, it's a shame that we have them, but what it's like doing? any, it's like any other field, you know, it's like right. you took it, look at any profession, wherever you are in your workplace, you got to, most people are trying to do the right thing most of the time, you know? Yeah, there's a 
subset that is truly exceptional and great at everything they're doing all the time. There's a subset that is really not good and should not be doing anything. You know, they should not be in this business. And that's the true of literally every field. I mean, actually, uh, police officers are the ones who I find to be the, the most honest about that, <laughs> frankly. You know, there's certain guys they know should not be in that field. Most people are just trying to get by. And then there's some at the very top that are really just truly exceptional people that are, you know, doing the right thing all the time. But yeah. No, no. You know what? That's a good. And sadly, like, like with police, us or anybody, those few bad ones are the ones that get all the attention. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. and it makes the rest of us look bad. So, but that's just, I mean, oh. that's life, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. that's, you know, we, we, our business certainly has its share of black marks. Um, you know, uh, but I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, who's a harder on us than us? How many publications are out there navel gazing at the journalism industry? You know, it's uh, so. Lawrence, yeah. thank you so much for sharing with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being in the reporter studio. Hey, very happy to be here, Lewis, and I wish you all the best of luck with this. Again, you've been listening to our conversation with political reporter Lawrence Maurer. He's with the Miami Herald, Tampa Bay Times, out of the Tallahassee Bureau. And, you know, a gentleman that I met many years ago when I was in Las Vegas, an amazing reporter. And Lawrence is really a, an amazing guy and has had an incredible career uh, covering some big, big stories. So if you get the opportunity, you can find a lot about his work and his background. It's on the website thereporterstudio.com. As I mentioned before, this is the season finale. Season one of The Reporter Studio is now in the books. And I really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. And by the way, if you're going back and re-listening to any of the podcasts or you're finding this for the first time and now you're like, wait a minute, I want to go back and listen to some of the other episodes, I would really appreciate it wherever you listen to this podcast that you subscribe, rate, and review it and share it. And, you know, again, this is season one. Season two will be out later this year. But throughout the rest of the summer into the fall, I'm going to be posting regularly some things here and there. So, but again, I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening. The next podcast coming out for this company is Planet Earth 2072. That's a climate crisis podcast, again, coming out this summer. And then later in the fall, we've got Generation Expectation, a Gen X podcast really excited about these two again coming out this year in 2022 again thanks for listening remember post your thoughts your comments on our website reporterstudio.com you can watch videos of these interviews on youtube at the reporter studio take care of yourself we'll talk again soon